So if you're going to read and meditate on some scripture this week, check out Ephesians 4 and 5. Um, and I actually preached on the section of scripture right before the one we're looking at today. I preached on, I think, last year, um, Ephesians and Colossians. Um, but Ephesians 5, the, the section of scripture that I opened with this morning, verses 19 and 20. Church, did you know that you are actually commanded, we are commanded to sing to the Lord? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Our time on Sundays when we sing together, it's not a spectator thing. It's not to entertain anyone. And it's not so that we can enjoy some nice music. Um, There is a command in Scripture to sing. So if you want to know why we sing, how we're supposed to sing, and what we're supposed to sing, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. I can send you a link if you're interested, or you can find it on our website. But right after that, after that instruction and exhortation and rebuke, Paul moves to talk about the family, and that's what we're going to look at today. But before we, before we do that, um, church, we can all agree that, that this is God's word, right? And that it is truth. It is truth. If we want to, and it's truth we want to live by, right? If we want to walk in wisdom and not foolishness, if we want to walk in life and not in death, and if we want to find real joy and peace and not be led into anxiety and fear, we want to walk in obedience to God's word. Amen? So, uh, the section that we're going to look at today in Ephesians is a passage that I think it just makes the world furious. Um, our culture hates God's word, but it especially hates passages like this. The LGBTQ movement um, is an attack on the truth that is found here in Scripture. Um, our culture hates it. They don't want gender roles or even gender. Our culture is, says it's for marriage for everyone, but it's really just against marriage is what it is. It's, our culture is against marriage. Um, our culture does not want to see children brought up to know and honor the Lord. They do not. Um, and our culture is ultimately against God and every good way in which he has set up the world to work. And so as a church, it is not enough for us to just say that we're against gay marriage. It's not enough for us to just say that everyone can believe what they want as long as they don't try to make us endorse it. We as a church need to embrace and live and declare the whole truth of God's word, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, but we have to learn to like live God's word ourselves. And so we're going to start reading in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this passage starts uh, by talking to the wives, but I want to start with the husbands today, and we will come back to um, wives. So men, husbands, and those who may be husbands one day. Um, Verse 25 of this text, how are we supposed to love our wives? As Christ loved the church. Okay, so Christ gave his very life for the church, right? He, he laid down his life. He endured suffering and pain. He took our sin upon himself, bearing the weight of it. So if you want to know how you should love your wife, go look at how Jesus has loved you. And that's, that's your call. Look at how he loved his church. There is no greater love than the love of Jesus for his church. And that is the love, husbands, that we are called to imitate. We also see that Jesus, it says, sanctified her, the church. Um, he cleansed her by washing water with the word. And God's word is living and active and powerful. Amen? Do you believe what Jesus said in John 17? He said, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is true. It is powerful. It sanctifies. It, it changes. And it brings life. And so men, husbands, not only are we to lay down our lives for our wives, but the, the goal here, it says, is that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, that she might be holy. Um, we have been called to be men of God's word, just as, as Jesus uses the word in us. We've been called to wash our families in the word of God. And more specifically here, we're called to wash our wives with the word of God. And I think that a lot of people have this image of, uh, you know, this passage like somebody hitting their wife over the head with a Bible. And that, that is not at all. When we're talking about washing here, it comes across as something gentle, not something violent. It doesn't, it doesn't say hit him over the head. It doesn't say use the word as a weapon. It doesn't say use the word to get your way. People do that, right? They manipulate God's word and they use it to make other people do what they want. But that, that's not what this is saying. It says wash with the word, like a gentle cleansing thing, that uh, your wives might be full of glorious splendor and holiness. And Peter also writes about husbands and wives um, in First Peter, and he says in chapter 3, verse 7, to the husbands, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, and so that your prayers may not be hindered. So men, listen to this. We are to wash, we're to live in an understanding way, or some other versions say uh, to live with knowledge, and we're just to show them honor as a weaker vessel. And by the way, uh, the weaker vessel thing, it doesn't have anything to say about worth, okay? Just because something is weaker does not mean it is worth any less. Actually, a lot of things that are weaker are worth even more. And so, um, if you think of 1 Corinthians, when it's talking about the church, there's weaker parts, there's stronger parts, all are invaluable, right? A strong person is not worth more than a weaker person. And 
the culture doesn't like this truth even. Uh, if you look just biologically, in the area of sports, women, generally speaking, are, are weaker than men physically, and the culture wants to deny this and allow biological men to compete in women's sports. And what happens when that happens? I mean, they win, right? And it's, this is a rejection of the reality that God has made. Um, women, as it says, being a weaker vessel is, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, okay? God created woman, right? He called her good. He made her that way. It is a, it is a good thing. Women have different strengths that men need. Your wife has lots of strengths, husband, that you need. Um, you don't use a hammer to cut a brisket. You use a hammer to put nails in, right? You use a knife to cut a brisket. I use both of those things a lot. Um, different tools for different purposes. Women were created differently um, than men, and that is a good thing. But guys, we are to live to understand, to know, to love, to cherish, to honor, to wash our wives. Not all women, okay? Praise the Lord. You don't have to understand all women. You are to live to understand your wife, to love and to cherish and to know your wife, okay? Not all women. Um, back in Ephesians, Paul says that we're to love them as we would our own bodies. So there's no room here for heavy-handedness or lording things over our wives. That's not leadership. That is not loving them um, the way that we're told to. We're supposed to lead them to be more like Jesus through his word, not just force them to believe something. There's like a gentle washing and a loving understanding. We are to make sure they know they are cherished. And we're to do this through God's word. We're to use it to help them to walk in the way of the Lord. And before we go forward, I just wanted to give a couple of practical tips for this. Speaking of someone who's been married for only 11 years, so. <laughs> but first, uh, husbands, find some time on a regular and consistent basis to engage in God's word with your wife. Okay? I know life gets busy, it gets crazy, and and it can be hard to make happen. Whether that is reading some Psalms or Proverbs or some other scripture together, or doing a good devotional in the evening or the morning that is centered around the Word, do something on some sort of regular and consistent basis with your wife where you're in the Word together. Secondly, make sure, if needed, that you help create a time and a space for her to get into the Word. Okay, If your wife is busy working, taking care of kids, doing all this other stuff, sometimes she might need you to step in and help make that space for her to be able to get into the Word. Um, do whatever you need to, whether that's you take the kids for a while, you, you create some little space in the home for her, remove some distractions or responsibilities for a little bit, do something so that she can have time one-on-one -on -one to get into God's Word and spend time in prayer. And then thirdly, related... Um, Make sure that your wives can be a part of the church service. So I, I love seeing sometimes husbands, you know, take their kids out so they're, uh, when needed so that their wives can be here and listening to the word, but you, you want them to be able to hear the word being preached as well. And lastly, men, husbands, we can't do these things. We can't lead the way. We can't wash with the word if we are not diving deep into the word ourselves. So, husbands, you can't wash your wives with God's word and lead them if you don't know it well. You've got to be saturating your own life with God's word. And I know that can be hard, 
uh, all the responsibilities that you have in taking care of your family and your job and stuff at church. So for some of you, it might mean you got to wake up really early. Maybe it means you got to turn on the Bible in the car when you're driving to work, but saturate yourself in God's word. We must be men of God's word. Husbands, future husbands, fathers, be a man of God's word. If you are not, you will not be able to love your wife the way that you should. You'll not be able to wash her, help her be able to come, become holy like it says. You're not going to be able to raise your kids to know the Lord, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. And men, you want wives that love Jesus, right? I mean, hopefully, you want wives who are going to walk with, after him and raise your kids to walk after him. You want wives that are going to honor God's word and live by it and that uh, will submit as it talks about here. Then men, you need to be the man of God that God has called you to be. When it says wives should submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ, it says that you are the head of your wife. It means you are the leader. Okay, you're going to be leading so my question for you this morning is, what kind of leader will you be? It does not say in Ephesians that the head of the wife should be the husband. It doesn't say that. It says the husband is the head of the wife. Do you understand what that means? It means that regardless of whether or not you want to be, you are the head. You're the leader. You're the decision maker. You're the one who's responsible you can be a bad head, you can be a bad leader, you can abdicate, uh, but you are still the head. You are still the leader. And so you can abdicate that responsibility and let someone else do it, but it still falls on you. You're still responsible and you're setting an example and not loving her in the way that Scripture has called us to. Husbands, you cannot escape your leadership. You might try to run, but you cannot escape it. God has given it to you. Everything that happens in your home is your responsibility. You might not be individually guilty of all things that happen, but you are responsible as the head. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But if we, if we go back and we look um, at, for a moment at what it says to the wives here, it says they're to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And uh, that's pretty serious, ladies, right? It says submit to your husbands, your own husbands, not to someone else's husband, your own husband, as to the Lord. It doesn't say submit to your husband as long as he's a good leader, even though I'm sure most of the time you wish that that's what it said. Um, it doesn't say submit to your husband as long as he's making the same choices that you would make doesn't say submit to your husband unless you're having a bad day. Um, it says submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And submission gets a really bad rap in our culture. It's looked down upon. People think it's something backwards. Um, and it's not because submission is bad or backwards. It's a beautiful thing that God has called us to do. Like, God doesn't ask you to do things that are not good in his word, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't give you commands that are bad. Um, they, it is good. It's looked down in our culture and it, it, because our culture is in rebellion against our Creator. And if you want to read a really good book that I think helps paint a biblical picture of some of this stuff, you should check out Eve in Exile. Um, 
But ladies, when you submit to your husband's leadership, um, really, you are submitting to Christ. That's what it says here. And so you might be like, man, I really don't want to right now, but think through, like, I'm actually submitting to the Lord when I do this. Your husband is going to make some mistakes. He's probably going to make lots of mistakes. You could ask my wife. I've made plenty of them. Um, And if he does, he is fully responsible for them. Um, The captain of a ship is responsible for everything that happens on a ship, even if one of the other sailors is the one that makes a mistake, right? Same with a a husband. Um, Men, you're responsible, again, for everything that happens in your home. Maybe not always guilty, but you are responsible. So ladies, you are ultimately trusting in Christ when you submit. If you're married, God has placed your husband in that position of leadership. You decided to marry him and agreed to follow him when you did that. Um, That doesn't mean following your husband into sin. Your husband uh, may make some unwise decisions sometimes you're to submit to, but you're not going to fall him into sin. If he's telling you to do something sinful, what is it in Acts that they say we must obey God rather than men, right? So that's a different situation. Um, You're not to follow him into it because Jesus is ultimately your Lord and Master. You follow him. But we have to be careful here because all of our hearts as fallen humans are deceitful. And we're always looking for ways to get around God's word. Um, And so, some people might hear this and think, like, does that make me a slave then to my husband? Um, I just do whatever he says. And I would say not at all, okay? You are no slave. Like, you are his partner, okay? Partner. He is the leader, but God has put you together that you may bless and help and encourage him as his partner. Why did God create Eve? And it's not good for man to be alone. Like, Adam needed a helper, right? Adam needed a helper. Your husband needs your help. He might not always recognize he needs your help. He might not always say he needs your help, but he needs your help. I need Laura's help all the time. He's given her gifts that I need. I need her love and support. I need her wisdom, her respect. Um, It says in verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So thankful for my wife because she's always encouraging me in different ways that like I feel that honor and respect. Um, so I'm thankful for her. Leading is hard work, and if a husband doesn't feel that his wife respects him, it's like even harder to lead. Um, and one of the reasons that you were put with your husband is to love him, respect him, and help him. That's that's what God's word says. Um, I'm not up here excited to just say these things, by the way, because I know they don't always sit well, but I, we need to teach what God's Word teaches. And so, if we go back to 1 Peter um, again, in that section I referenced earlier, 1 Peter chapter 3, In 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty 
of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you are her children, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Um, so there's a likewise at the very beginning here. Peter had just finished talking to the servants before telling them to be subject to their masters. Uh, not just the good and gentle ones, but also the unjust ones. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus acted for us when he was mistreated. He suffered for us. And so then Peter goes on to tell wives um, that they should be subject to, their own, subject to their own husbands so that even if their husbands aren't being the leaders they should be, that maybe they would be won over by the behavior of their wives. It doesn't say by the arguments or wisdom of their wives. And let me just say, ladies, I know, because I've had conversations with you, a lot of you are very wise, and your husbands would be wise to listen to your wisdom, <laughs> um, for sure. There are many times that my wife offers me wisdom, and it takes me a while to receive it. And so I'm telling myself, I need to listen to my wife's wisdom more. But that, that's not how you're, you're to win them over. That's not, generally speaking, what is going to win them over. It says um, that they may be won without a word by the respectful and pure conduct that they display. Um, he goes on to say, it's not the outward adorning that you should be focused on, but the inward, the hidden person of the heart, with that imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And then he references Abraham and Sarah and how she obeyed him. And if you've, if you've read your Old Testament, if you go back, Abraham made some really dumb choices. Okay, he made some, sometimes I read him like, wow, like what were you thinking? And he made a lot of choices out of fear, and Sarah still submitted to him. Um, and, and Peter here is calling, calling wives to do likewise. So my encouragement, if you're concerned about your husband's leadership, if, if you think he's not doing a great job, um, if he's absent, if he's not walking with Jesus the way that he should, Peter does lay out a game plan for you says, win them over by your conduct. Imitate Christ in how you love and serve and endure. He's calling you to be like Jesus, not in the role of the head, but in your actions and in your love. And then as it gets into the husband section, um, it says, just as I told the wives and servants, Peter's telling husbands to do the same thing, to love with their actions, to honor them as weaker vessels, to live with them in understanding, to be like Jesus. This is so important, and we'll talk about the importance of, I think, the marriage and husbands and wives fulfilling that in just a little bit, but I wanted to read a little bit further in Ephesians um, before we go back there. In Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, for those of you in this room who live under your parents' house, um, under their roof, Scripture is pretty clear here. It says, obey them in the Lord. Again, there's that principle throughout the Bible, unless they're asking you to do something sinful, right? But obey them in the Lord. And when you obey them, who are you really obeying? The Lord. That's right. God 
has put your parents in your life as an authority for a reason. And so you are to uh, honor them and to obey them. Um, the honor should apply whether you live with them or not. Uh, eventually, you're still going to have parents, but you have moved into your own house and things look a little different. But if you want things to go well in your life, if you want to live a long and blessed life, it says, honor your father and mother. Obey them in the Lord. There's a promise there. So do it. It, it doesn't say obey your parents when you agree with them. It doesn't say obey them when you think it's fair. Uh, it doesn't say obey them when it's easy. It says to obey them. And I think one of the reasons young people in this country have such a hard time is because they don't live in obedience. They live in rebellion. So I encourage you, buck that trend. Say no to the wisdom of the world and listen to Scripture and obey that it may go well with you. Um, if you're a young person living with your parents, don't try to argue and change your parents. Guess what? You cannot control them. <laughs> Uh, but you can control you. If you think your parent is not a good parent, cry out to the Lord. Ask him for help. He, he's really the one you're submitting to, so go to him. Ask him to help you be an obedient son or daughter who honors his mother and father well. God keeps his promises. Um, and then back to the parents. Uh, and first and foremost, fathers. It says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, fathers, children make their own choices. You can't control them, right? But you are responsible for raising them in a godly way, raising them to know God's word, and creating an environment in your home that will help them trust in Christ. And that takes a husband and a wife working together, um, and it definitely takes a husband and father leading in the right way. Um, today, more than ever, I feel like young people, all of us, but young people especially, are exposed to so many different voices telling them what to think and what to do. If you're 11, 12, 13 years old, um, the day probably uh, has a lot of hanging out with other kids outside of your house. Um, there's probably some, I don't know, do kids still watch TV? Stuff still on TV? Yes? No? Sometimes? Um, but if not TV, there's social media. There's phones, there's computers, there's all this input, okay? And parents, I'd encourage you to just think about, like, on average, how much time are your kids getting, like, good biblical input? How much are they seeing Christ on display throughout the day? And where do they get most of their instruction from, especially when they're young? Um, if they're in either a private school or a public school, they're at school eight hours a day or so, right? Um, with a couple hours of homework. Uh, they're also instructed, as I said, by their cell phones, social media, friends, movies, TV. And depending on what school they're in, um, every private school is different. But I can tell you that the, the public school is not teaching them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It, it is not. Um, they are, if anything, they are getting taught that the Bible is wrong and that God is not real. Taught that evil is good and good is evil. That's like 40 hours a week in school, right? And then it's reinforced because by movies and social media because most of that is saying the same thing. And then they come to church for 45 minutes and hear an amazing lesson from some awesome 
Bible teachers, but it's like a very small drop in the bucket sometimes. So my encouragement would be uh, you need to be intentional about the input your kids are receiving and really think about what they're being fed. Um, And putting them in classes at the Learning Center or class and conversations in a private school, that might be great and it might eliminate a lot of that during the day, but you can't just do that and think your kids are going to turn out. Okay, it, it takes a lot of hard work from the parents instructing them in the way of the Lord and not in the way of the world because they are going to be getting the instruction to walk with the world everywhere else. There is a war going on for the souls of your kids. And if you sit back and you're not intentional, you're probably going to lose. So do something about it. My encouragement is do something about it. Sit down and think about the input your kids are getting and how you can raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And talking about discipline, the culture hates discipline. Okay? The culture hates discipline. It pushes back against it, but Scripture says God disciplines those He loves. In Hebrews it says that those who do not receive discipline are not true sons. It says in Proverbs that he who withholds withholds the rod, hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 22 says we are to train up a child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, my question for you is, is, is are you doing that? Do you allow sin to run rampant in your house, or is there discipline for it? And that discipline has got to start pretty young too um or some people go the opposite direction and it's like all law and no grace and we don't want to do that either because the gospel is a real thing we want our kids to experience grace you should use opportunity when rules are broken to explain the gospel to your children um, they need to experience the gospel and how you treat them when they mess up they need to experience the gospel and how you respond in different situations they need to see your faith in god when things get hard A child raised without discipline is a child on the path to destruction. I encourage you, discipline your children in the Lord. And the in the Lord part is so important because we don't want to raise moralistic or legalistic kids. Amen? We don't want to impose moralism and good behavior on them for the sake of good behavior. Good people are headed to hell all the time. We don't want that for our kids. We want to raise them in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And so if you're like, I don't know how to do that, I encourage you, look around for some parents. You're like, wow, their kids seem to really be, have turned out well. They're walking with the Lord. Go, go ask them, hey, like, what did you do with your kids? Come talk to your pastors. We would love to help. But parents, you are raising immortal beings immortal beings. You're raising people that are going to live forever. Forever. Their time on earth is going to come to an end one day, and then they're going to be in heaven or hell forever. Forever. You get a limited time on earth to raise them and help them set, set them on a path that is hopefully going to walk them through to heaven. And speaking of immortal beings, um, husbands, your wife is an eternal being. She's going to live forever. 
and wives. Your husbands are going to live forever as well. And our actions here have eternal consequences. So it's important that we get these things right and ask the Lord for help to live according to his word. For parents, husbands, wives, children, and everyone else, we all have different roles to play, different responsibilities. We aren't going to be perfect, but if we do our best to walk these things out according to God's word, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will see beautiful things, because that's how God designed it. And when we go against his design, we're just inviting pain and brokenness in our lives, and then we end up facing the consequences of it. The culture, the LGBTQ agenda I talked about, um, it's all wrapped up in a much bigger thing than we have time to talk about this morning, but it is, it is all about destroying the family and God's good design and order. And when we go against God's design, terrible things happen, and we're seeing it on display everywhere in our country. When you get rid of gender roles, it breaks down marriage. When you get rid of gender, it breaks down the family. When you redefine marriage, you start to destroy a whole culture and a whole country, and that is what is happening. And so the church needs not only to speak up and preach the gospel, the church needs to make sure that the culture has not infiltrated our way of thinking and living ourselves. And we need to live according to God's word, not our feelings, not the world, and not the way of the devil. And so as we get ready to close, I have a, a few short exhortations for everyone here. Um, first, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you've not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I encourage you to do so today. I talked a little bit about how husbands are supposed to imitate Jesus and their love for their wives. It says in Romans that this is how God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners... While we were still in rebellion against God, Jesus died for us. He took the punishment for our sins that we deserved upon himself. He paid our penalty so that we could have eternal life. And so I encourage you to turn from your sin today and cry out to the Lord to save you. You can talk to myself, anyone else here pretty much at the church. They would love to talk to you about the love that Jesus has for you. And secondly... To those who are unmarried or have no children, um, you may be here thinking today, the family is really important, and you don't have one, so where do you fit in? And let me say to you, um, you do, even if you have no earthly family members, you have a family, and you have a family here. We need you. We really do. God, God has all sorts of different parts in his church, his family, all serving different functions. And we need those of you, desperately, who at this point in your life don't have that family. God placed you in this church for a reason, and this church needs you. You can help stand for good, God's good design. Raising a family is hard. Being married is hard. And the church needs you to come alongside those of us in these positions. We need your help to minister to our children. We need your help to pray for us and hold us up when we're struggling. And the body of Christ, as I said, is made up of many members. Our children's ministry, our youth group, and our nursery, and just about every other ministry would be suffering or unable to function without you. You're holding it up. I, I love that so many of our single people or um, people whose kids have left the house are serving in the nursery 
serving in the children's ministry, serving in the youth group. It is a blessing to us, and those raising families desperately need you, and you are a part of our church family. So thank you. Thank you for serving. Um, We would not be able to do it without you. Thirdly, to husbands, fathers, those who one day may be one of those, um, will you be a good head or a bad head? Are you going to lead your family to ruin by inaction, or are you going to lead the way that God has intended? intended? Don't let the culture teach your family. Wash your family with the word of God. So I encourage you today, step up and be the man that God created you to be. If you have messed up, if you've not been doing this, the answer is not to go hide in a hole. The answer is to repent. Confess your sins before the Lord. Repent and, and turn. Um, you might need to make some things right. You might have a long road ahead of you, but if you're being faithful to God and his word, you can trust him with the rest. And men, if, if, you, if you're thinking, man, um, my wife really needed to hear this sermon today. <laughs> there, she's, she's, she's struggling here. You feel like you're not respected. I would encourage you, you need to be, one, looking at yourself. And you need to be crying out to the Lord in prayer. Take a look at your own life and ask the Lord, am I being a good head? Am I leading well? Am I in the word enough to, to wash my family with it? Am I actively trying to love and serve and cherish and know my wife? Or am I just trying to get her to do what I want? Focus on yourself and your relationship with God and how you need to be walking and cry out to the Lord for help. And ask him to make you into the husband that you need to be. That's where you start. And then you pray for your wife that God would make her into the woman of God that he wants her to be. Fourthly, to the wives and mothers and those who one day uh, may be. If your husbands are not being good leaders, if they are failing in some way, which I'm sure they are, um, don't look to the world for wisdom on what to do. Don't try and take over because they're not doing a good job. Cry out to the Lord. Again, just as I told the men, look at your own life and, as, and seek to do what Scripture says. Win them over by respectful and pure conduct. Um, don't worry about looking great on the outside if your inside is rotting away. Cry out to the Lord and ask Him to help you submit and respect and love your husband well. And then pray for Him that God would help Him be the man of God that He's been called to be. And on this topic, not saying that abuse does not exist because it does. There's some terrible husbands or wives out there. Um, I'm just saying we need to handle things in the way that God has laid out. But if you need help, come and talk to your pastors because God has placed the church as an authority here that you can appeal to. So if you're in a bad spot, come and appeal to the church. Do something about it. Um, But to both men and women here, one of the problems we often have is that we look at other people's sin instead of our own. And that leads to problems in marriage. If you look at your spouse's sin and not your own, you try to fix them instead of working on yourself. Um, And that doesn't really get you anywhere. You need to turn inward. You can't control other people. Um, If married men and women in the church start to do this, uh, if, if inside of the church marriages start to do this, um, I think 
you'll see a drastic change in our country. You'll see men start to step up and lead their families and lead in their churches, and you're going to see people come to Christ because marriage, the marriage relationship, is a reflection of Christ and the church. Our marriages, church, preach to the world about the relationship between Jesus and his people. Marriage is meant to shine the light and the love of Christ brightly for all to see. And if we mess this up by not being the husbands and wives we're called to, we are preaching a false and unattractive gospel to the world. Your marriage is not just about you. It is about Jesus. Be a good ambassador. And lastly, I want to speak to everyone. Um, Do not let God's word in this area fall on deaf ears. It is too important. As I said, it's a representation of Christ in the church, and we are raising the next generation. So I want to encourage you to take an honest look at yourself and your heart. The heart is deceitful and wicked, and, and the culture sneaks in far more often than you think it does. When I was getting married, I thought I was a pretty good person. And then shortly after I got married, the Lord revealed to me my heart, and I, I saw a lot of nasty sin and selfishness in there. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, I have a lot of work to do. Um, marriage is hard, but it is good, and it is sanctifying. Amen? Anyone relate to that? Um, and recently, the Lord revealed to me some more sin in, in my own heart, more selfishness. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we found out that we were having our first child, and uh, that is a, a blessing from the Lord. Children are such amazing gifts, amen? Um, and so, while I recognize this, I preach this, I fully believe it in my mind, we were praying about all of that, um, when I found out we were having a child, I realized my heart, I mean, we, I was excited there was emotion but my heart was not quite rejoicing in the way that I felt like it should have been and in that moment and and in a moment with the Lord um, I was praying and maybe a little bit complaining does anyone ever like pray complain to the Lord okay Um, and he spoke so clearly to me so clearly that this child was the grace of God in my life in our lives and I was hit with conviction that I had been cherishing selfishness in my heart And without knowing it, I think I had let some of the world's views on children sneak into my heart. Without knowing it, I had created an idol of selfishness. And while I would say children were a blessing, uh, I think in my heart there was some desire for the convenience of not having them. And so, what did I do when I was confronted with this? Um, The Lord had actually been slowly revealing to to me for several months um, with greater intensity, and then in that moment, um, when, when he kind of opened it up and let me see my heart, I confessed my sins to the Lord and asked him to forgive me and purify me from all unrighteousness, like First John said. I asked him to help me walk in repentance and in the truth, and to rejoice at the blessing that he has given. And praise the Lord, he has been doing that. Um, and so, church, my encouragement to you today is to do the same examine yourselves. Ask the Lord if you've let sin grow in your heart, and if you have, confess it. If you've let the culture influence your view of marriage, of your role in marriage, about how to raise children or anything else, confess that sin to the Lord and ask him to help you walk in repentance.
and in truth. Marriage is not easy. Raising kids is not easy. Walking in righteousness is not easy. But it is good. And I want to see young men and women marry people who love Jesus. I want to see young men and women who have seen parents who love Jesus and have parents who have reflected well the relationship between Christ and the church. And I want to see men stepping up to lead their families and their churches and women coming alongside them to help and serve with the gifts that God has given them. I want to see marriages that honor Christ. And I want to see this because God wants to see this. It is God's design. And if his people start living by his design, some people are going to hate it. That's, that's very clear, right? Um, but others are going to be drawn to it as well as we light up the darkness. This is a hard call because, again, we, we are sinners. We have uh, sinful hearts, right? And it's hard because it's countercultural. It's hard to be different. Some people like to be different. I'll take that back. Some people just like to be different. I tend to not be one of those people. <laughs> um, but to live different than the culture and to stand out can be hard. But we want to walk in God's wisdom and not in the world's wisdom. Amen? Amen. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus help us to do this. And be encouraged. If you are in Christ, you have his Holy Spirit, and he can help you lead your family. He can help you submit to your husband. He can help you obey your parents. He can help you dig into God's word. If you've not been living up to God's word, my prayer for you this morning that I've been praying is that you would feel convicted, that you would feel godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, that it would lead you to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus to help you walk rightly. I long for revival in our country, but I long for it to start here in our church with husbands and wives loving each other. There's, there's this idea sometimes, I think, that revival looks like this crazy thing with crazy stuff happening, but it really starts in very small things. It starts with husbands and wives loving each other the way that they were supposed to and raising their kids the way they are supposed to in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. People in everyday life living out God's word the way that he designed for it to be. And so that's, that's what I want for our church. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. Your spouse needs Jesus, and so do your kids. So does our church and our community and our country. And we are to be his ambassadors, a light to a lost and dying world. So my question for us is, are we ready to live according to Jesus' word and be faithful to his calling for us, church? My prayer is, is that we would say yes.